What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer with you here in the evening hours of Saturday, July 15th, 2023. How about that Alec Burleson, huh? <laughs> what a game by the Cardinals outfielder in the nightcap of the doubleheader that took place on Saturday as, yeah, Friday night was uh, a fool's errand. Not a game the Cardinals and Nationals were able to get in there at Bush Stadium, but they suspended the game and picked up right where they left off on Saturday afternoon. Unfortunately, you kind of figured that could be a problem for the Cardinals because what did it mean? Well, it meant a hefty dose of the Cardinals' bullpen because Miles Michaelis was looking great on Friday, but after three no-hit innings, he wasn't going to be able to return to the game a day later when the rains came. And so you needed six innings, basically, out of the Cardinal bullpen. They didn't get those six, and because of that, they needed seven. As it goes extras, and the Cardinals lose the first game. They win the second game, though, a split against the Nationals. That leads us into Sunday, and the Cardinals behind Jack Flaherty will need to take that one in order to claim the series against Washington. But tonight on B-Shape Daily, we'll take a look at what we saw Saturday and get geared up for Sunday afternoon. It'll be a quick turnaround, so we want to go rapid fire tonight. Break down what we saw on Saturday in the split doubleheader. We'll talk about Friday, too, because Lars Newpar hitting that home run on Friday. I'm glad it counted, because sometimes you have those rain-impacted games, and sometimes they just scrap it from the day before. Made sense, though, with it just being game one of the series to go ahead and say, we'll suspend the game, we'll pick up where we left off, and just keep it rolling with a split doubleheader. But I had basically been talking a lot recently about Lars Newpar needing to kind of find the power stroke. And if you were to do that, you would see his numbers for the season basically get to where the Cardinals, I think, expected them to be. He's had pretty good numbers all around, just not a lot of power. And Lars Newpar holding up with the home run on Friday, which ends up being in a losing effort with the Cardinals falling in game one, seven to five as the Nationals got to Jordan Hicks, his second inning of work in the 10th on Saturday afternoon, which, of course, the Manford man, I don't really put a ton of that on Jordan Hicks. It wasn't a clean inning. He looked really good in the ninth, which is unfortunate because if if the Cardinals had just given him a lead to work with, it wouldn't have been the same situation. You would have been saying, oh, wow, what an outing by Jordan Hicks. Cardinals win the game, etc." But as it were, the Cardinals don't win, and Jordan Hicks ends up kind of being the goat for that one and not in the good way but I really do hate seeing that for a relief pitcher who has to pitch that inning with the Manford man and have it go off the rails and it's like the first run that scored wasn't your fault it probably impacted you to have to pitch around that base runner anyway but you would like to think the Cardinals could have more offensive success in extra innings I mean it's been really rough their ability to consistently get that Manford man home and then maybe do a little damage beyond that. I know DeYoung had the RBI the last time they played an extra inning game and they were able to win that one. But on Saturday against the Nationals, 7-5 to five losers, two runs given up in the 10th inning. Again, the Cardinal bullpen's not very good this year. I think that's the bottom line of it. And so that kind of cost them in game one. Game two, we'll talk about the performance by Steven Matz, just kind of what we think Matz is going to be the rest of the way. I think you got a glimpse of that on Saturday night. And we'll talk Dakota Hudson as well and the the general performance by the offense, which I think the arrow is pointing up for the Cardinals offense, but how much does that actually mean when you have a pretty good idea what to expect from the pitching staff and it's not good things? 
overall. So we'll talk about all that tonight on B-Shape Daily. Make sure you guys are subscribed to the YouTube channel, Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer. And it's at youtube.com slash at bshafer12 if you would like to check out the URL and subscribe that way. Make sure you are also subscribed or following the podcast B-Shape Daily on Spotify or on Apple Podcast if you are an iPhone user. Appreciate you guys for doing that and rating and reviewing in those locations as well. Let's jump right in, though, and talk about Game 1, then we'll get into Game 2, which was a little bit more of a positive flair to it. But Game 1, Miles Michaelis, back on Friday, looked really good. The rains came, and it was Andre Pallante beginning the game on Saturday for the Cardinals in the fourth inning. I also thought it was funny that Paul Goldschmidt, of all the players to have this happen, had a 3-2 count that he was facing getting back into the batter's box on Saturday afternoon. That's where things left off on Friday night. The rains really, it was pouring at Bush Stadium. It was very clear that they were going to have to call it at a certain point. A lot of times they try to finish the at-bat, but they that was a full count. It went on for a little too long, and they finally had to call it. They never did resume. So part of it was just funny to me, the idea that Paul Goldschmidt was maybe waiting up all night thinking about, oh, who am I going to face? Because obviously it'll be a different pitcher, but what's he going to throw? What's going to happen? And as everybody was settling in for the at-bat on Saturday afternoon, I thought, he's going to walk him. This guy's got one pitch, and you don't want to make a mistake to Paul Goldschmidt. He can put you over the wall in the first pitch. This guy's not going to throw him a strike. He didn't. Goldie took it. I thought that was a little bit comical. But nothing doing, ultimately, for the Cardinals offensively. And then you got to see Andre Pallante, who has really struggled this year. Couple of walks given up, couple of base hits, a total of three runs, all earned in an inning and a third of work for Palante in game one on Saturday. His ERA up to 5.23 for the season. And that's going to be kind of one of the themes of the night. When you look at this Cardinal bullpen, we've talked about it. It's not anything new. But when I look at this group, I really genuinely wonder who among this group might still be on this team next year. Because I it may not be more than one or two guys. Palante is controllable. He's not near arbitration, free agency, any of that. But a 5.23 ERA, he has unfortunately, because I really like Andre Palante, he has unfortunately fallen short in his role a lot this year. And they were hoping, I think, to get a few innings out of him on Saturday afternoon because obviously he had the night game to come. They could bring up James Nail for the game and have him as kind of a bonus reliever just in case, the 27th man of the doubleheader. But other than that, you were certainly stretched thin in terms of wanting to make sure you maximize the guys that you did have. But Palante only able to go an inning and a third, and then it was the parade from there. Chris Stratton, to his credit, an inning and two-thirds without giving up a run, had a couple of strikeouts. I should say without giving up an earned run because the errors were once again problematic for the Cardinals in game one had three of them, and they were costly. That fifth inning for the Nationals, they scored three runs in that fifth, and I don't believe any of the runs they scored were earned. That was at least the initial qualification of it. That's what they were saying on the broadcast. Looking now, they may have made some changes later to the qualification there. Regardless, a couple of unearned runs scored today in the contest for the Nationals. Like I said, I think at one point it was more than that because one came from Hicks in the 10th. So only one unearned run against Stratton was the way it was was laid out there. But the Nationals just getting extra opportunities there in the fifth inning of game one, 
You had Arenado make a boo-boo. You had Contreras. What Ali Marmol said was a mental error. To throw the ball down to second base was not something that even needed to happen in that scenario. And it's the reason that the second baseman Gorman was not even at the bag because the the game plan for that moment with a, a man on first and a man on third would be to just pump fake and look the guy back to third base, concede the guy at second taking the bag. Like, that's just... And he throws the ball. It's I'm telling you what, man, the more and more we see of Wilson Contreras, and I tweeted this out when it happened, this contract could pan out for the Cardinals. Like, there's a world in which it happens that it's a good deal. But for it to happen, I am beginning to believe that Wilson Contreras is going to have to be so head and shoulders above as a hitter that it's almost just unrealistic to expect that to take place. He's got to be just ridiculous offensively because he's a bad catcher. The way it's playing out this season, he's not a good defensive catcher. And I don't know that I can even identify the reason for that because he's got a good arm. You know, he can throw guys out. On that occasion, he didn't. But again, the second baseman wasn't expecting it. And so the throw ends up kind of going into the runner. The runner screens the throw. The, the ball goes into center field. And the, the the guy from third is able to score pretty easily. But in other situations, we do see Wilson Contreras with a strong throwing arm. But it's like you think for a guy that walks into the batter's box and knows exactly the rule about when you've got to be two feet in the box and engage with the pitcher and taking advantage of the pitch clock and all these things as a batter, you would think he would have a little bit more of a strong mental game as a defender. But we have not seen that manifest. And for Ali Marmol to say it was a mental mistake, no other way to cut it, when Wilson Contreras throws that ball down to second base, first of all, Ali is correct. And secondly, why is that still happening for Wilson Contreras three and a half months into the season? I don't, it just doesn't appear to me that he is as engaged as he needs to be on the defensive end, which is baffling. It's baffling because a lot of people defended him when the Cardinals took the route that they took to benching him very publicly, very uh, strangely, a lot of oddities about that whole situation when it took place in early May, whenever that was. And it was like, all right, the Cardinals are kind of throwing Wilson Contreras under the bus, and that doesn't seem right. And I still kind of stand by that they needed to have handled that a lot better. But we're seeing, as you continue to watch the season unfold with Wilson Contreras, there's a lot here that you wish wasn't happening. Like, we can be honest about that. He has not lived up to the billing defensively. And the Cubs knew that. The Cubs, man, they they laughed all the way to the bank on this whole deal. They're taking the compensation draft pick that the Cardinals had to give them, and they said, look, Wilson Contreras, good hitter, good passion. I'm sure the Cubs liked a lot of his qualities. But I think they had a, a little bit of a bead on exactly what they, the Cardinals were going to be getting behind the plate. And they said, they said, that's not Yadier Molina. That's a different guy. And what's so bizarre about it to me is when you see some of the ways that he is so engaged, he could do these things. I feel like he could do them. But it's almost kind of a, a foolish expectation to think that he will at this point because we're seeing these types of errors and these types of mental mistakes happened over and over again. Throwing errors in situations where the ball shouldn't even be thrown, down on one knee, making pass ball after pass ball. It's just, it's been more than I really thought would be the case when you'd have some growing pains with Wilson Contreras. It's been beyond that. And I, 
I don't know what to say at this point other than maybe that's just who he is. It shouldn't be that way. He should be able to settle in. But when you think about some of the criticism that's been levied in his direction that he's talked about from his time with the Cubs and how he's had to have conversations with different people in the front office and the manager, like it seemed like the Cubs had a lengthy history of trying to get a handle on Wilson Contreras. I love Wilson Contreras. I think his energy is fantastic. I think he has come around offensively to where he could be a force for this team. I'm going to say, though, I understand probably where all of that has come from because I'm seeing it. I It just, you know, at some point, a spade is a spade, and you're seeing these things happen with Contreras, and it's just like, can he dial it in or can he not? If he can't, then I think ultimately you got to let it play out, but ultimately you're probably going to look back on this contract as a disappointing one. If he cannot dial it in behind the plate, and show that same level of focus game to game, inning to inning, play to play, pitch to pitch, that he does as a hitter. Is it? Does he want to be engaged in it? Can he dial it in? Can he focus in on it? And can he execute? Because he hasn't been doing it defensively. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to, like, look, this Cardinals team is one of the worst fundamental Cardinals teams that we have seen in a long time. That's just reality. They made three errors in today's game, and if you don't, you probably win the first game of, of the, the doubleheader. Wilson Contreras is a part of that. Fundamentally, he has been one of the worst Cardinals this year, and that's on a team that's been worse fundamentally than most Cardinals teams in recent memory. So, like I said, it's not like it's a personal vendetta. I really like Wilson Contreras. I don't like having to talk about this, but we're so far into this season and it really does appear to be a lost season at this point, that it's kind of like, look, enough things have added up that we can just kind of call it what it is right now. I would love nothing more than to see Wilson Contreras take ownership of that and go, you know what, it has not been good enough, and it's on me to focus in and fix this stuff. But we can be honest about what we've seen, and it's been pretty bad from Wilson Contreras behind the plate. I'm not talking about him handling the pitching staff and calling pitches. I think that's a different animal right like I think all the stuff about well he the pitch com and he really he was calling pitches they didn't throw and the different kind of rumors and reports that fly around I don't even necessarily think that needs to be connected to what I'm talking about from a fundamental perspective because I think this that is more nuanced and maybe more difficult to ascertain exactly how you fix it to me this other stuff mental errors it's not hard to figure out how you fix those you you commit yourself to not allowing them to happen. And to this point, I think it needs to be said that Wilson Contreras has not made that step yet. It shouldn't happen. There are so many things that happen with him that should not happen. Now, back to what I said, to make this contract pan out and to be a good one, what does he have to do? He has to hit. He has to hit. He has to hit. He has to hit. And to his credit, he has done that recently. And in game one today, two for four with a home run. A big home run and a big moment for Wilson Contreras, and he didn't play the night game. Yvonne Herrera looking very good, though. Three for three with a run scored. Uh, he's hitting 500. That's going to be a whole thing with Andrew Kisner. Like, I don't know what's going to happen there, but I think Yvonne Herrera is showing that the Cardinals overlooked him and maybe they shouldn't have. Like, if they knew this version of Yvonne Herrera was going to exist, They would never have signed Wilson Contreras, which is not to say that he can't still be a good Cardinal, Wilson Contreras. But I'm just being honest. I don't think the Cardinals last year 
with what they saw from Herrera, thought he was capable of achieving what he's doing right now. And it's in a limited sample, and so it's not as though he is, we can declare anything about Ivan Herrera long-term, but it really does look favorable. And so I don't know what happens there. I have no idea. I like Andrew Kisner. I think he's very important to the pitching staff. But if you want to talk about offensive expectations, I think it's already pretty clear that Ivan Herrera's got a higher ceiling. And right now he's, at least in the the limited opportunity that he's gotten so far, he is hitting on that ceiling with what he's doing at the plate. So we'll see what happens there. Kisner, not quite ready to come off the IL yet, but something to monitor for sure as time goes along. But yeah, I think the onus is on Wilson Contreras behind the plate to be better, to not allow these things to happen. He makes up for it with his offense. He really does. He's up to 767 OPS. And from where he was, that is impressive. It's absolutely impressive what he's been able to to put together. But man, just think if he could be a, a force behind the plate as well and commit himself in the same way, the Cardinals would really have something there. Right now, though, I think it's it's like you got to drag him kicking and screaming to be the catcher that he's capable of being. He's not a young player, right? He's a veteran player. So you think that's too harsh? Let me know in the YouTube comments below. But again, like if we talk about this Cardinals team, we know the pitching has been bad and that's largely responsible. I was kind of going through the bullpen and the way it performed in game one to explain why they lost the thing. Jojo Romero had a nice outing. Gallegos once again struggled. And then Jordan Hicks, not entirely his fault because he had a good ninth and then the 10th inning was what it was and he was not sharp. But generally, the I mean, the bullpen ends up giving up seven runs in total in about seven innings in this game. Five earned, seven overall. Palante was a big chunk of that. But the numbers are the numbers at the end of the day. Didn't get helped out by the defense. I think Contreras is you know part of that. Arnado had a throwing error. I, I assume it was called a throwing error. It was a way high throw. There was no other way to grade it. And uh, yeah, it was an error on him. But of course, Contreras had two errors on the day. He's had pass balls. I mean, at, at a certain point, it is what it is, and he's got to be better behind the plate. But at least he's doing what he's doing at it. It was a very impressive home run. The timing of the home run that he hit on Saturday afternoon was impressive. The same can be said for Brendan Donovan, by the way, who the Cardinals can't get this guy into his throwing program soon enough. He's begun it. Hopefully, pretty soon, he'll be back into playing the field. Uh, but the big three-run shot to even keep the Cardinals in the game on Saturday afternoon, you don't trade Brendan Donovan. 788 OPS. It's higher than Newt Barr by plenty. It's higher than Jordan Walker at this point. Higher than Wilson Contreras. I should say, as of game one, that was the case. Let me make sure that's right. Yeah, after game two, it, it sustained because Donovan had a uh, had a triple that was... Lane Thomas, man, put on ice skates, roller skates in uh, right field. Fell right on his rump trying to field that triple by Donovan. But yeah, Brendan Donovan, higher OPS than Walker, higher than Newt Barr, fairly easily, higher than DeYoung, higher than Gorman, and Gorman's finally coming around to the plate a little bit too. That's good to see. He goes two for four in the night game with a double. But I just cannot imagine the Cardinals moving Brendan Donovan and having that improve the team for 2023 or 2024. Keep him, extend him, Cardinal for life. His skill set is just so tantalizing 
because he can play anywhere. He's got now 10 home runs on the season. He'll hit 15 or more on the campaign. That's that's what I would think we'll see. And he's going to you know have an on-base percentage of 350, 360, maybe more. Top of mind, I don't know what it is right now, but I can look. And as the leadoff guy, he's still driving in runs. He's a clutch hitter. There are some guys that don't seem to thrive in the clutch. I hate to say somebody's unclutch, but there are examples of guys who absolutely, you can tell time over time, do perform in those clutch moments, and Donovan's one of them. A 368 on base percentage. He's going to, I mean, that's what he's going to be. And if you add power to that, it's just unavoidable that he's going to be one of the more valuable players on this team. So you can't trade him. Do what you want, Cardinals. But if it's if it comes down to you have to move one of Donovan, Edmund, Gorman, the only guy I guarantee you I'm not moving of that trio is Donovan. And I prefer to keep Edmund, but I also understand he's a league average hitter over the course of his career, which is now three, four years in. League average, 100 is his career OPS+. plus. Defensively, the versatility that he brings is superb. It's fantastic. But at the same time, if your OPS plus is 100 and you're playing everyday center field, I honestly don't think that's enough for a contender. I think you need to be a plus hitter to justify center field in most contending lineups. And so it depends on the role. That's not fair to Tommy. I think he's a winning player. But there also might be teams that would say, we'll give up a a really quality pitcher for that guy or for Gorman, who uh, the Cardinals don't have a way to replicate that left-handed power. But Gorman also may not provide that left-handed power if he's not consistent. I just know that I I like all three players. I think I like Donovan above, I mean, head and shoulders above the others. Edmund, I think, could get into a spot where that is the same because when you think about Edmund's OPS, it's lower than the other guys. I think he's around 700, but he also steals a bunch of bases, and I'll count that. that. I don't know what, the stat probably exists, but it should be more highlighted to say, hey, add that to OPS, add that to slugging percentage. If a guy gets a double out of a single because he's still second, there's value to that, and it should be reflected in in looking at these guys' numbers because he steals bases in a way that Donovan and Gorman certainly do not. So I'm not knocking Tommy Edmund. I'm just talking about potentially the difficult conversations and and trade considerations the Cardinals might have as they go along here. But game one, rough from the bullpen, I think they'd have won that game if it doesn't rain Friday because Michaelis was locked in. He probably goes six or seven scoreless or something close to scoreless. And, uh, of course, you, you know, butterfly effect. You don't know the impact that that had. But nice on the Cardinals to get the night game. Nine to six win on Saturday night at Bush. Steven Matz, the starter. I think that's what you're getting from Steven Matz. I hate to say it, but a couple of home runs given up. Allowed four earned runs and four and a third kind of reverted back to what we had seen from him in the rotation previously back early in the season before he went to the bullpen and honestly did make strides, I thought, as a reliever and then had a a solid outing on Sunday prior to the All-Star break. This one was kind of back to where we've, we've seen him prior. Things got off to a nice start, but then Washington scoring runs in the third, fourth, and fifth inning, chasing Steven Matz from the game. There's really nothing to say about it, though, at this point because he's in the rotation the rest of the way, especially when you consider that Jack Flaherty, Jordan Montgomery could both be traded over the next couple of weeks. 
And so not only will you have Matts in there, you'll probably have Dakota Hudson regain a starting spot, which, by the way, I'm completely fine with. I know that it's not sexy. Nothing Dakota Hudson does on the mound is necessarily sexy, but he did his job in relief tonight and earned the win for the Cardinals. Matt's still with the Ofer in terms of the win-loss record this year, but Dakota Hudson gets the dub. Three and a third innings, four hits, no walks, which is critical, a couple of strikeouts. He's not going to strike out many, but the ERA for the year in St. Louis down to 1.80 for Dakota and did not give up any runs tonight in the three and a third that he pitched. I think he's into the rotation when you trade Jack Flaherty or Jordan Montgomery. Whichever guy goes, Dakota's back into the rotation. He hasn't been great in Memphis this year, but it's almost to the point where he has been a starter in St. Louis in the past. I can't really expect a guy who goes from mainstay in the rotation in the big leagues to now you're in the minors for the whole year and there are no opportunities for you until you get to July. That's probably a pretty demoralizing set of circumstances. And so I'm not desperate to look into those numbers and and just declare that Dakota Hudson stinks. Is he going to be the type of arm that you're really looking forward to in 2024? Claiming a rotation spot? No, because I think he's the same as a lot of the guys that we've talked about. Doesn't strike out very many batters. Doesn't miss bats. They need to try to get away from that style of pitching. Can they get more out of him? I have no idea. But there is also the factor of Dakota Hudson has had some major league success in the past and having a little bit of success so far with St. Louis in just a few opportunities this year. You might as well throw him out there because maybe he can find something. Like I said, do I project him to be a guy that as of February 1st, if he's slotted in as your number five starter, you feel good about 2024? Probably not. But he he does have a way of Inducing ground balls, limiting damage when he's at his best. When he's not at his best, we have all seen what that looks like. But I have no problem with it in a season that is effectively a lost season at this point. You might as well let that thread play itself out for Dakota Hudson, throw him back into the rotation. I don't have high expectations for it, but he's he did a nice job today. Like Just because he's not fanning two batters an inning doesn't mean there are not things that he can bring to the table. It can be frustrating to watch him when he's when he's not in command of his pitching, but no walks today. He had decent command. Gave up four hits, but I, more of that from Dakota Hudson, and I think he'll earn more opportunities. And then you just kind of figure what that looks like. Do you trade him in the offseason? Maybe. Do you throw him onto next year's staff as just depth? Potentially, I guess you could do that. But again, I'm not overreacting to the performance tonight, but he definitely does deserve credit. Uh, for having it. And then we get back into the conversation of the bullpen and the fact that I just don't know how many guys that are in this group right now should be on the roster to begin 2024. Hennessy Cabrera, man, he's got a 5.06 ERA. Couple of runs given up tonight, three hits, just not, you know, not super sharp. He did have the strikeout work and he was missing bats. He struck out three guys of the four outs he recorded. But he's got a 5 ERA this year. Palante's got a 5 ERA. ERA for Gallegos is 4.42. Chris Stratton's a free agent to be. I would say he's fine as a middle reliever if you brought him back, but I, I I don't anticipate that being the case. Jojo Romero maybe could be a lefty. Like We're seeing some better signs out of him recently. Jordan Hicks is a free agent, should be traded before July 31st. Uh, Helsley's not healthy right now, but I 
I mean, if you can get trade value out of him despite his health situation, I, I don't think it's a crazy idea because going into next year, he's going to get a raise in arbitration. That's the way it works, and he hasn't been healthy anyway. I, I think Helsley for next year would be somebody that i certainly fine with bringing back. Otherwise, I don't know, and I don't know how you clear your roster of these guys either. Are teams going to trade for Henesis Cabrera with a 5 ERA? I have no idea. I have no idea, but the whole bullpen is going to need major turnover for next season. But credit to the offense in the night game. Five for eight with runners in scoring position. Up and down the lineup, they were getting the job done. 17 hits wrapped out by the Cardinals in the night game. The win, 9-6 to six over Washington. Let's talk Alec Burleson. I mentioned him to, to start off the podcast, the catch that he had in left field. I think I watched this thing 25 times. I don't think he robbed a home run. I'm just going to come out and say it. That ball, I... From the angle I saw, I don't think it was getting over the wall. I think it was going to hit the top of the wall and maybe bounce back on. It's semantics. He saved multiple runs by making the play. And Jordan Walker, by the way, had a great catch as well. But Alan Burleson, to do it in in left field, to do the reverse Ozuna, if you will, and then at the plate go three for four, hit a bomb. I think Alec Burleson's role is really interesting as we come up on the trade deadline. Because despite that catch, I don't know that he's a plus corner outfielder. You would live with that level of defense because I think he can be average and adequate defensively, and he can come up with those gems on occasion. He's a good athlete. Doesn't have great range, but, I mean, that was a hell of a play. But when it comes to Alec Burleson, I mean, his OPS is 685. He's hitting 233. And to begin the season, he was getting a ton of opportunities. Ollie Marmo was infatuated with this guy and was giving him chances to play and for a while, it looked like it was the the reasonable thing to do. And then eventually, it was they they just can't keep running him out there offensively. He's not pulling his weight. He's coming around a little bit. Looked very good tonight. I think Alec Burleson is a major league hitter. I don't know if the St. Louis Cardinals are going to be the team to fully recognize and find that out, find out what he is, because I don't. I just don't know if you project him to be a high enough valuable bat in order to say he's we're going to give him every chance to prove it I'm just not sure and so could he be included in a trade maybe I say you you hang on to him for now because the having a guy like that available as depth in case of injury which the Cardinals have had some injuries happen in their outfield for sure having Burleson around I think is valuable I don't know if we have seen the full potential of Alec Burleson I just don't know if we ever will in St. Louis if it's a big-time blockbuster and the other side needs a guy with some upside like him, first of all, you say, what do you think of Juan Yepes? Because that would be, I would prefer to keep Burleson over Yepes, although one guy's a lefty bat, the other is a righty bat. But they both kind of are a man without a ton of upside defensively. Again, Burleson, great catch tonight, but I'm just speaking generally. If you've got one of those guys that you're looking to move, I would prefer to move Yepes. But I think teams would value Burleson. I think there's reason to. You can stick him. Again, this is a luxury the Cardinals just have not had over the course of the last five, ten years, whatever the case might be. They're always straining to try and contend. And so they can't just throw a guy like Burleson in left field for 120 games and see what happens. There are teams in Major League Baseball who could do that. And I think those teams might benefit from Alec Burleson because he might not be a 685 OPS guy. He might be a 785 OPS guy when it's all said and done. He's got to show that now with St. Louis to avoid the potential that the Cardinals view him as just somebody who's extra and they don't keep him. I don't know what's going to happen there, but 
lot of credit to Burleson for Saturday night. Nolan Gorman looked good. We mentioned Herrera, Newt Barr, Goldschmidt, Arenado, all with multi-hit games. Nolan hitting his 20th home run of the season. Jordan Walker getting in on the, the hit parade as well. Everybody in the starting lineup tonight had a base hit, at least one. And you had multi-hit games from five guys. Six guys, actually. Goldie, Nupar, Arenado, Gorman, uh, Burleson, and, and Herrera all had multiple hit games. So I think that's certainly what you need. You're, you're going to have to outslug everybody, especially if and when you trade some of your better pitchers. It's only going to put more pressure on the offense. I just think that's the reality of where the Cardinals are at this point. But if they can continue to respond the way that they did Saturday, and I'll even count game one as part of that. You score five runs, it's not a guarantee to win, but you'd like to think that they would have been able to win with that amount. But they've got to get it done on the defensive end as well and help their pitching staff out. But to score nine in game two, to hit the way that they did, there is upside in this offense. I still feel like it's one of the better offensive units in the league. I'm still not entirely sure about Newbar batting third, but they're they're continuing to allow that to happen, so whatever. But they've got a lot of talent one through nine, and and just seeing that manifest in the way that you did on Saturday night uh, was definitely encouraging. We'll see what Jack Flaherty is able to bring to the table on Sunday. I think it's an important start for him. Again, I don't believe the Cardinals are in position to make a run at things this year. It shouldn't be that way, but I feel like it sort of is. And as a result, if Jack Flaherty can put together another really solid start, it there's a chance it's the last one that we see from him in a Cardinal uniform. Do I expect that? No, I think Moselak will allow this to play out all the way to the very end of July before unloading guys. But you pitch once, it's not impossible that we don't see you again for five days. And, and before that takes place, you're on another team. So, We'll see what Jack Flaherty can do. If he could have a great start, it can only help his uh, trade value for the Cardinals. So let me know what you think in the YouTube comments below, how the Cardinals are looking, what you thought about Saturday. I still feel like there are just too many fundamental issues with this team when it comes to not only starting pitching, which we can kind of isolate and identify where and why they struggle in that department, but the entire bullpen and then the fundamentals defensively. It's not Cardinal baseball. It's not crisp. It's not the way we expect to see them play. But I also think we're three and a half months into the season. It might just, I mean, it's what they are probably at this point. Uh, They could always turn it around, I suppose. But at a certain level, you just don't, you shouldn't expect to see something different at this point, right? It shouldn't surprise us anymore. It shouldn't take us aback. It should just be what it is. It kind of sucks, but that's, that's the way I'm looking at it. Let me know what you think in the YouTube comments below. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel, Brennan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer. Like this video, and by the way, if you are a subscriber, click the bell for notifications so you never miss a new episode of the podcast dropping on YouTube. Thank you guys so much for listening tonight. That is going to do it for this edition of the program. Going to get out of here quick because we've got a quick turnaround, One fifteen p.m. game on Sunday afternoon. Thank you guys for joining me, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Shafe Daily. Peace.